Wasn't that cool? Yeah, we'll give Paul a round of applause. Good job, Paul. You know, you watch something like, don't you just kind of feel a heightened sense of inspiration? You're looking at at creation, and it's kind of easy to do, granted, when you're looking at Colorado, <laughs> uh, or maybe on a, on a beach somewhere, a tropical beach, uh, or maybe, has anyone seen um, recent pictures from the James Webb telescope, and just kind of looking into the vastness of space, like, you look at things like that, and you just, you're just in a sense of awe, like, it, it stirs something within us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Let's, let's pray, though, before we enter into God's Word. Holy God, holy word, accommodate to our finite comprehensions the magnitude and the power of your truth. Give our limited and often distracted minds a desire for something more than the tweets and the sound bites of a lost and broken world. In a world that craves the superficial, give us real sustenance for life. Treat us with your grace that we would live into our highest calling to praise you. So bless now the reading and proclamation of your holy word. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is Psalm 111. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Hear are these words. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen. So let's start with just um, some easy first impressions of the psalm. Is this a psalm of praise or is it a psalm of lament? Praise. Okay, good. We got that, man. Scholars, love it. Okay, we're firing on all cylinders this morning. It's a psalm of praise from start to finish. Psalm 111 can easily be described, be seen as a psalm of praise and adoration. It's a psalm that's exalting the name of God. It has not only in its words, but in its, its tone, its mood, it's all uplifting. You know, by contrast, we looked at a number of psalms in the month of May, which were psalms more of lament, uh, psalms of, of what it was like when someone was going through a time of difficulty. But not so much this one. This one's a, a happy psalm psalm of praise but it's a very directed praise he's not just happy just because he's happy from beginning to end all throughout the psalm it is a psalm that praises god that in everything every line of that psalm gives praise to god it's like a sonnet that's written about god and to god god is the focus 
One of the most beautiful things about the, the psalm, though, is something that you can't actually see, at least in our English translations. This psalm is, is much like a poem because it's written in an acrostic pattern. You remember what, a, what an acrostic is? Like each line of, of the poem begins with a specific letter, and sometimes it spells something. But in this case, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. And the meaning that each line has is not only the words there, but you have to think about it in terms of this acrostic poem. And why? Why is the, the author, the, the psalmist, doing this? Why would that matter? Um, there's other acrostics like this in the Hebrew Bible. Um, some are easier to spot than others. Uh, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. And so in other places, you can actually see there's 22 verses. And each verse will start with the uh, consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you look, for example, at the book of Lamentations, that's probably the best and easiest example to look at. Because every chapter in Lamentations is either 22 verses or a multiple of 22 so one's 44 verses, one's or 66 verses. Every chapter is an acrostic poem. And there's a number of, of these poems as well in the Psalms, and Psalm 111 is one of those today. But it's a little harder to, to distinguish because it's 10 verses. It's not that multiple of 22. It's not even 11. So it's, it's a little harder to, to spot. But it's also really hard for us in English to spot because there's really no great way to replicate that in English. So if you're just reading through your Bible and you get to Psalm 111 and you're not reading any footnotes or commentary, you would have no idea that this psalm has, has a much deeper depth to it just by its sheer structure that it's written as this poem. Well... I wanted to, to somehow kind of show this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, just, just show kind of a simplified level of what this looks like. And so if you all put that next slide up on the, the screen, the first line, or the first word actually is hallelujah. So in your, in your Bible translations, it might say hallelujah, it might say praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. It's actually not part of the acrostic. The acrostic begins with the next line. And so you can see I put the Hebrew character next to where that line starts. And so you can go all the way down through the Psalm 111, and each line is a is the consecutive character in the Hebrew alphabet. So pull up the next one, and then one more. So it's just to show you that each line begins with, and, and it's all in order of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's, it's a really neat structure. And you think about that, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of thought because not only are you trying to convey a meaning, but you're trying to structure it in this really defined uh, uh, pattern. And so the question then is kind of why? Why, why, does, why would that matter? Well, why do we write, write poems? You know, Valentine's Day, you got you know, a sweetheart, someone you love. You can you know, write them a note that says, hey, what's up, you're cool. Or you might, you know, might work a little better for you if you wrote a poem, you know, if you put some thought into not only what the words you're saying are, but how it's coming across. And, you know, we use things like rhyme and things like that. 
Well, this is, in a way, it's, it's trying to represent something deeper than just words. I think that what the psalmist is trying to say is, what I have to say about God can't be contained in, in the words that I have. I have to put it in, in some other form. I have to make it into this poem to express something greater about the glory and the greatness of God. Because that's the thing, our language is finite. And the psalmist, in essence, in this, the whole psalm, he's trying to direct us to praise, to hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That first word in the psalm really encapsulates the whole psalm. God is beyond our words to even describe God. God is transcendent and great above all things. And so I might just be a nerd, but I just think that's really cool that not only do we have this, this wonderful psalm with these wonderful words, but there's a structure to it that tries to convey something more, that from A to Z, God is. God is beyond our ability to even describe with our words. We have to try to express God's glory beyond that. Okay, so let's talk about the actual words of the psalm. What does it say? And I'm going to start by focusing on the middle verses. So we're going to look at verse 1 and verse 10 later. We're going to look at verses 2 through 9 right now, and we'll come back to 1 and 10. As I mentioned at the beginning, the first impressions of the psalm is that it's a psalm of praise. And so we get to verses 2 through 9, and I've decided to organize this, our study this morning into two primary aspects. And you tell me thank you because my initial thought I was going to do five aspects, but I, I condensed them down and made it two, okay? I thought five might, might be a little much, so just two. Two major aspects or reasons which ought to compel us to praise God. And the first aspect that the psalmist lifts up is the works of God. The works of God compel us to praise God. And the second is the character of God compels us to praise God. So explain these a little more. First, we have reason to praise God in response to God's works. This is the one aspect that's really, it's mentioned repeatedly by the psalmist. If you have your Bible open, you can see this. You can look through almost every verse, and it mentions the word works. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Now, verse 5 doesn't mention the word works, but it describes a work of God in providing sustenance to the people. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works. Verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. And verse 8 elaborates on verse 7. And again, verse 9, it doesn't mention the word works, but it describes the work of God redeeming his people. The works of God are reason enough for us to praise God. And so the psalmist gives a lot of emphasis to the works of God, and rightly so. Because where would we be without the work of God? Well, we wouldn't be anywhere. There'd be nothing, nothing at all. 
God's works encompasses so many things. And probably the easiest thing to think about when we think about God's works is the work of creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. But it's not just creation. That's not the only thing that describes God's works. His works include his continual sustaining of all life. His sustaining of your life and of all creation. God's protection is a work. His deliverance for his people, his providence, his salvation, his provision for daily life, and many more things. But all those things, when we think about God's works, it's not just about mountains and trees and beaches and oceans. It's about how God continues to work in us and through us and among us and around us and for us. We're surrounded by God's works. But the problem is that we often lose sight of the greatness and the glory of God who is behind it all. So often we make our lives about the created things, the material things, the, or the people, or the moments in time, rather than seeing the one who is behind and above all those things. Who is above all space and time and creation. It's easy for us to live in a state of spiritual nearsightedness. Where we're only focused on what's right here in front of us. But Psalm 111, it encourages us really to step back and to say, these are all works of God. Look at all the ways in which God is working around us and in us and among us. And it lifts our eyes and our hearts to praise God. That's the result. It's almost like the psalmist can't even help himself. Once he starts thinking about the works of God, it just erupts in this praise of God. It inspires um, and leaves him in awe of God. So we have reason to praise God in response to God's works. But we also have reason to praise God in response to God's character. Verse 3 describes God's righteousness that endures forever. Verse 4 says that the Lord is gracious and merciful. Verse 5, that he remembers his covenant forever. That God is faithful. And that God, since he enters into this covenant, that also means that God is relational. God is not removed from us or some distant deity that's unconcerned with us, but he enters into a covenant relationship with us. Verse 6 talks about God uh, giving his people the inheritance of the nations, God's provisions for his people. Verses 7 and 8 kind of combine together. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. That God's truth, what we know of God's word, what we know of God's character, or what we know of God's ways and righteousness of God's instruction for us and guidance for us, they're trustworthy, for God is faithful. And verse 9 describes how God sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God is a God who saves. He is a great redeemer. He is God almighty. 
though not specifically mentioned in all these verses, I think implied within the scope of, of just the whole psalm is the characteristic of the great love of God. We have reason to praise God in response to God's holy and righteous and loving character. Now what's interesting about this is when you go through the psalm, it'll often talk about the works of God in connection with the character of God. It'll talk about a work of God and the character of God and the work of God and the character of God. So when you put them together, we see that the works of God are connected with his very character because all of God's acts are consistent with his character. God is a God who saves, who creates, because God is a God who is our redeemer and who is the creator of all. God is a generous and loving God. All of God's acts are consistent with God's very character. Now, we can't say the same thing about humans, right? We know, as humans, sometimes our actions aren't always consistent with our character. We are not immune to the weaknesses of our own egos or pride or lust or idolatry or carelessness or fear or, you know, rattle on the list as long as you like. This war that we struggle with between the flesh and the spirit rages within us, but not so with God. There's not that, that uh, uh, battle within God's very character because God's character doesn't change. God is faithful to who he is and he's faithful to us. And so God's acts are always consistent with God's character. God is always trustworthy, always just, always holy, always righteous, which is a reason in itself that we can give thanks and praise to God. Well, I said I would return to verses 1 and 10, and so I'll start with uh, verse 1. As I mentioned before, it begins with, uh, in your English translations, it might begin with the phrase, praise the Lord. It might begin with the Hebrew word, hallelujah. Either, either way, they mean the same thing. But it begins with this, and it's not, again, it's not following the acrostic pattern yet. It begins with this as almost like a call to worship. It's something that's to announce to the people, to get their attention. Hey, there is something about God that is worthy of praise. There's everything about God that is worthy of praise. Praise the Lord, and I'm about to tell you why. Because of God's works and God's character throughout the whole psalm. Psalm 111 is a tribute of praise to God. And in a way, that one Hebrew word, hallelujah, says it all. Praise the Lord. But verse 1 continues... And it's interesting how it continues because it's from the voice of the the psalmist. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. He puts himself in that, that psalm. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I'm devoted to the Lord. I've seen God's works. I've seen and I know of God's character. And I'm going to praise the Lord with my whole heart. This is his personal declaration and desire to praise God with his or, own, his or her own heart. And this is the type of praise that God desires. 
the type of praise that comes from a heart that is devoted to him. We can be honest and say that we're guilty often of half-hearted worship. But the encouragement today and the encouragement of of the words of Psalm 111 is this. Renew your desire to give authentic thanks and praise to God with your whole heart. What are you holding back from God? What have you let your mind slip into or distract you from giving full thanks and praise to God? Renew your commitment to the Lord because you have reason to give praise to God and you don't need to look any further than God's works and God's character. You don't need to look any further than the beauty and the majesty of the mountains like we saw in the video or even the the tiny ant crawling across the rock. I don't know if y'all saw that on the video too. You don't need to look any further than your own life than your own existence, than your own consciousness in the air within your lungs. You included God created by his own sovereign choice. Praise the Lord for life. God's works are magnificent. And God's character is a reason to praise because we know that God is faithful and trustworthy and just and loving and, and on and on. God is gracious and merciful. And the greatest display of God's character is in the gift of Christ. In the gift of Christ, we see all of God's character come to fruition. His faithfulness, his love, his justice, his mercy. In the person and the work, through the life, the death and resurrection of Christ, we see God, the God of love the God of you, the God of me, the God of the world. So we have reason to praise a response to God's gifts, God's grace, God's works, God's character. But sometimes we need a little spark. And even that spark needs to be fanned to become a flame. So if you feel a conviction about giving half-hearted worship I hope Psalm 11 might be your spark. But continue to fan that flame and give thanks and commit yourself today to the Lord. And from where that uh, verse 1 then goes to not only this this individual uh, view of our own thanks and praise, but it talks about in the company of the upright in the congregation. Because we are the body of Christ. As a community of believers, we are to praise God together. Not on islands, not individually, not alone, but together. That's why we gather together to exalt the Lord, to praise God. So I pray that our worship together this morning is authentic and true. In verse 10, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. And we're actually really going to look at this next week. Because this is, I didn't mention this before, this is more of a a two-part sermon. Because Psalm 111 is connected in a neat way with Psalm 112. And verse 10 is kind of the, the, the hitch pin between the two. But it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. 
His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord, that's, that's a phrase that's uh, mentioned often in the, the Bible, especially the Hebrew Bible. And like I said, I'm not going to spend too much time on that today. We're really going to look at that uh, in more detail next time. But for now, I just want to say that having a fear of the Lord does not mean to be terrified of God. Martin Luther talked about the fear of the Lord being a filial fear, as in a, like a relationship of a child to a, to a parent, a child who respects and honors and loves their parents and, and wants to honor that loving relationship. That's the type of fear that we are to experience with God, one that's in relationship with God, not trying to distance ourselves from God, but drawing near to God. R.C. Sproul uh, talks about the fear of God having to do with a reverence and an awe and a respect for God. Like I said, we're going to pick up on all this more, uh, uh, more of this next week. But we were made to praise. And our praise of God is indicative of our fear of God. Those two ideas are connected. I think that's why they serve almost as bookends to this psalm, to Psalm 111. It begins with hallelujah, praise the Lord, and it ends with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then we'll get into to, uh, Psalm 112 next week and really kind of take off on that, that idea. But for us this morning, what are we giving our hearts to? What are we giving our praise to? All we have to do is look around, whether it's mountain scenes or beaches or wherever, or if you just look at your own lives, think about why God has you here, why you have been created to be here, to ponder the works of the Lord, not only of material creation, but of all the works of God, his deliverance, his salvation, and especially the work of Christ, but also the character of God. When we think about this God who creates, what else about this God? He's a God who loves. A God who is holy and just and righteous. The God who calls us to him. And our response to that call is to praise. To let nothing hinder us from offering our hearts to God. Hallelujah. Let us praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. God, we praise you for your works and your character. 